Do you love and hate the hospitality industry? Then you are in the right spot. Join your hosts, Kyle and Sarah, Sean Walsheth, and Jensen Cummings as they talk shop and give real insights into the latest restaurant news and most pressing issues facing hospitality professionals today. Welcome in to the Restaurant Idea Factory. Welcome into Restaurant Idea Factory. That's Sean. That's Kyle. I'm Jensen. Today is Riff 12. Today we're talking SVB causes restaurant chain to miss payroll, food delivery robots, and a little brand loyalty with special guest, our first ever guest host, Jordan Bush of Seven. Hey. Jeff, let's bring in. Excited about this one. He's in the green room. In the green room. Hey. Yeah, he's, yeah, there he is. Right now. There we go. Great to be here. Good to see you, Jordan. What about Can't wait. This is going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun with this oh, yeah. episode. We're going to be getting into uh, emphasizing teams at the end of the show. So make sure you you uh, stick around. You've seen and heard Jordan throughout all of these episodes. Now you get to see and hear from him live. So we're excited about that. He's going to banter with us and riff with us for every single segment here. We got uh, we got a lot to talk about. So, but first, as always, it's becoming, I guess, maybe our favorite segment, or at least the audience's favorite segment, to learn a little bit about us. So, Jordan, we're going to kick it to you first. Fun fact: What's something that most people don't know about you? Um, so there's a there, there's probably a few. Um, I'm a I'm a former competitive like competitive soccer player. I, I played on the provincial team when I was younger, and um, it. You know, is it, it, it kind of ran deep in my family. My 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 uh, uncle played for the Canadian team, so um, yeah, kind of ran oh, so deep. Like legit and, soccer stars of Canada. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I didn't make it past a certain point. You know, there's like kind of that inflection point where you where you're at your peak, and then you started to decline. And so I kind of packed it in right when I was on the decline, but had a ton of fun um, doing that. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I, I love that. I remember I grew up in Germany. We played like five-year-olds. There'd be like a thousand people watching five-year-olds play soccer. It's a completely different world outside the United States, right? Yeah, huge, huge. And uh, a much bigger world outside Canada as well. <laughs> 100%. Well, I'm going to jump in next because then let's keep the sports theme going. I'm a huge fan of baseball. And this started when I was in Germany, actually, when I was a kid. Right. I was seven years old and I saw a videotape at the army base in Germany of the World Series, the 1988 World Series and Kirk Gibson's home run. That was the first image of baseball that I remember having. And then when I moved back to the States, I remember going to Chavez Ravine and getting one of those like cheap giveaway blue gloves from Ramon Martinez, who was Pedro Martinez's older yeah, brother when right. they both pitched for the Dodgers. So that's where my love of baseball started. And now Sean and I are rivals and the Padres finally beat us this last year. So I got to tip my cap to them. Oh boy. Sean, what do you got? Uh, random fact. So I went up to San Francisco for the restaurant 365 event last week. And uh, I did a video um, with Corey, my former business partner who I opened up the restaurant with. We opened in 2008 until um, 2012. But him and I also were in business with another restaurant owner in 2007. That was a failed partnership that lasted three months. Um, that partnership ended so poorly 
that the person that uh, that we were in business with left me a voicemail where he's oh, cussing at me, telling me that I am uh, a lot of expletives. But that was the the birth of our first podcast behind the smoke. So we started our podcast, the first 50 episodes with that voicemail to, uh, to let the audience know that business, <laughs> the business that you think, uh, when you're getting into this restaurant business, sometimes, uh, sometimes it goes south and partnerships can be tough. So that was, uh, yeah, if you're, if you, if you want to hear a crazy voicemail, go listen to, I guess it's now digital hospitality, but one of the first 50 episodes. <laughs> I gotta listen to that. Epic. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm due for some content because the fans of the of of behind the smoke they saw that video and they're like, "Is that Howard?" I'm like, "No, that's Corey. <laughs> that's not the guy that left the voicemail." <laughs> that's Corey from last week, the guy at the real estate office. Yeah, that's Corey. That Corey's <laughs> one of my best friends, so we stayed with him. But uh, yeah, that's that's, that's not my former business. That's a different former business partner. I got you. Me? Oh man, you were fueled by. <laughs> You're it, Kyle. anger and smoke in those early days, huh? That's a lot of anger and a lot of smoke. Behind the yeah. smoke is like a could be about a lot of things, huh? A little yeah. vague that, that one. Yeah, I like that though. Yeah, here in vague. Denver, that has a whole different meaning. <laughs> in the smoke all the time. That's called. <laughs> all right, Kyle, what do you got? Uh, uh, how about this for? <laughs> it's kind of funny considering what I do now, but I lost my first business because i didn't read my lease <laughs> yeah are you serious that's that what makes all the you. sense in the world about, while you're doing what you do now yeah i talk about this shit because it actually happened i um long story short but it turns out that the you i had my utility bills were like 300 bucks a month it was part of my rent that's key here it was additional rent and it went from 300 bucks to like the three thousand dollars a month one from one month to the next nothing changed so i asked them hey real quick i think there's a mistake they said, no, no mistake. That's what the meter said. And if you don't pay it, it's considered not paying your rent and we can evict you. Fought it, fought it, fought it. I didn't win. I actually won the case, but I didn't pay it. So they evicted me. I lost my whole business. Awful. What kind of business? It was like a deli and a catering business. We made like, you know, we did like deli sandwiches and stuff, but we catered out uh, like prepared foods to places that didn't have um, the ability to do food. So we did like wraps sandwiches salads and stuff like that we were crushing it and we had a pool out the back it was awesome so it was a good couple of years but i was only 23 so can burn Wait, a couple of those things out that back to the catering spot it was like on the ground floor of this huge residential mixed use project and there was a pool on the, in the middle of it were you paying to heat that pool is that why your bill was three thousand yeah, exactly. dollars apparently i was paying for a lot but yeah Read culinary list. maintenance no. is high when you got to pay for the pool upkeep, apparently, huh? Yeah, that sucked. Oh man, <laughs> don't highly yeah. recommend reading. Well, hey, let me see what where are we at in time. Oh, we got a couple minutes, Jordan. Real quick, I'd love to hear. I, I love that your origin story is based in your, your family business. So, we got just a minute. Tell us how Seven Shifts started in the family business, right? Was it, was it Qdoba's Quiznos? What was it? You guys had a franchise <laughs> chain. Your dad did. Yeah. Yeah. So my grandparents ran orange Julius, like uh, some locations. And then my dad uh, bought some Quiznos uh, locations, kind of ran that franchise. And uh, I, I grew up working in them naturally because, um, well, you know, that's kind of, kind of what you do if you're in the family and of like people running those businesses. So I uh, learned a lot and, and actually like it was some of my, it was some of the most exciting years of my employment 
you know, like, I mean, you know, sandwiches is fun too, but making sandwiches <laughs> when I was younger <laughs> with like a bunch of awesome yeah. people and like your friends, right. You're in high school and um, you know, you're, you're kind of like, you're, it's just a different environment and it was a ton of fun. But I, I think really that, that taught me early days as it does with so many people, how to deal with customers and, um, and, and just kind of interact with people on a different level because you, you go from like dealing with your, essentially your friends from high school and how you talk to them. And now you've got to deal with an adult who's complaining about something and like, you've got to have your adult face on and you've got to really know how to manage those situations. And from watching my dad handle those, I was like, okay, you know, I can, I can learn a lot here and kind of mimic that. And, um, but one thing my dad really did when I look back that I, took for granted at the time was just the culture of the people there and thinking that he nailed it from the beginning. And I, I, you, you take it for granted if you're, if that's your first job, right? You're like, Oh, this is kind of how work oh, yeah. is. I like everyone I work with. Everyone's great. Everyone actually works hard and shows up. And uh, that just wasn't the case for other jobs that I took later on. And so um, but the idea for seven shifts was really born out of that experience to try and help my dad around scheduling and communication because he was just so busy um, with a number of other, other things that are involved with running, you know, multiple stores um, that, that I taught myself how to write some code and built him something really small to address these core pain points. And then, um, yeah, it just, it was fun, a fun side project for a little while and kind of evolved from there. From yeah, a spreadsheet man. to how many employees does Seven Shifts have now? Uh, how many shifties? 350s. Yeah. 350 wow. shifties. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> are you one, yeah, of, the largest, that's, that's are you so one cool. of the largest tech companies in Canada? Um, sector. I, I think I, yeah, definitely in the hospitality tech environment for sure. Um, in terms of like in Canada, like I, I'm not sure, but definitely people do know of our company. If you're in the kind of SaaS space in Canada, like, sure. you know, we're half our companies in Toronto, half's in Saskatoon, no, I say half and half, but then there's kind of like 50 of us outside of that, that are all over the U S so you know, field sales presence, you know, uh, just kind of little nooks and, and, um, and pockets of, of, of folks all over. So it's, it's grown, grown quite a bit. It's amazing. All right. We better have a kick-ass show then. we got to, we got to represent for the U S and Canada. Uh, North this America. Is like Absolutely. Classic right here, right now. All right, let's get the show started. Let's kick it to destiny. Game face is on guys. Do you love and hate the hospitality industry? Then you are in the right spot. Join your hosts, Kyle and Sarah, Sean Walsheth, and Jensen Cummings as they talk shop and give real insights into the latest restaurant news and most pressing issues facing hospitality professionals today. Welcome in to the Restaurant Idea Factory. First up. Let's talk sleep at night, which is quickly emerging as, as one of our most emotionally charged segments for sure, presented by Davo. Davo automates sales tax payments and filings so restaurateurs can spend time on what actually makes them money. We're going to hear from uh, co-founder David Joseph. One day, the, our state auditor, I was on a first name basis with him, Jim Donnelly, walks in the back door and 
and says, you know, you owe me $80,000. What? I know I haven't paid you. And he says, well, you haven't paid us in four months. I noticed you did a renovation. Well, I went in and I talked to your hostess and I got a, a, a menu from her. And I sat in my car on a Saturday night and I counted all the people going into your restaurant. And then I took an appetizer entree dessert, number of people, seven nights a week, four months. You owe me 80 grand. <laughs> There's so many things about that segment. <laughs> yeah, fourth time that I've watched that clip. And I pit in my stomach right now because of this. This again, I couldn't even look at both. it. I turned the screen off. Well, let's yeah. put it. Let's, let me start with saying that there's a reason why state auditors don't run restaurants because we would <laughs> love to sell an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert to every person. <laughs> I love the business model he was proposing. He's rounding up, Sean. He's he's rounding really high up. Yeah, it's weird. Never down. Only up. Wow. wow. And a bottle of wine while you're at it. <laughs> yeah. On. Two. Why not? It's only yeah, not, not by the glass. You're getting a whole bottle. So this to me, this makes me angry. <laughs> like it really does. We've talked a lot about kind of gatekeepers. There's so many people in positions of authority or power that wield it over others. It's some kind of power trip to like validate your existence. And it just, it saddens me deeply deeply that that's the kind of tumultuous relationship that we see with so many of the entities that we need to work with to be able to have any chance at success in restaurants. And we've all struggled, but we've talked about this. I'm not going to follow Kyle's story from last week of his experience with sales tax. Cause mine was like a $20,000 bill, you know, not 185,000. We've all felt that I recognize the first time I understood cash flow or understood how little I understood about cash flow when I'm looking at just the one bank account that we had at the restaurant and all of a sudden payroll gone, sales tax gone. And then we're on net 30 terms, which I didn't understand either. So we're just floating that. Well, one time we hit like multiple kind of holiday weekends back to back and that number dropped. And all of a sudden our bank accounts down to a couple hundred dollars. I was like, what just happened? And so that's funny, actually, in Best Served has a strategy consulting arm called Angry Olive Consulting. Shout out to Andrew Parr, who runs that. One of the things we like mandate now with new restaurant openings and have for years and years is that you have to start with four bank accounts, four of them. You have your general ledger, you have payroll, you have taxes, and you have marketing. Because those other three accounts are money that we never think about how to spend properly and how to manage properly. So that was that was like my big takeaway from this. What uh, what else you guys got on this? Any of you know your sales tax auditor by their first name? Oh, dude, I this is the most I've talked about sales tax since that whole situation. <laughs> I don't even want to do it back to back weeks now. I haven't done it in ten years. I don't want to do it back to back now. Make me relive. But so this. many, so many. If you look at the comments awesome. that we got, direct messages, emails that we got from that last episode. Like a lot of people were really feeling you on that because maybe they didn't have that exact situation, but it created an emotional response to them because we've all had some kind of situation like that. Yeah. And just that interaction, I can't imagine how scary that was for David in that moment where you think that person has the authority there to just put the yellow tape in front of your door, say this business oh. is closed. And that's, we that's like absolutely devastating we were like days away from that happening if we didn't figure it out because it was we were stuck like negotiating 
uh, you know, the one partner was willing to write the check, but he's like, I want more equity, obviously. So, you know, we came into this. We literally created this on the back of a napkin. I was living in St. John. My partner was living in New York, and we were, like, trying to figure it all out. And then here it is. It's just, like, falling between our fingers. Like, I looked at that letter from the state, like, this cannot. Is this for us? Like, the dollar amount? And then, like, look at the corporate name and the dollar amount. But we do what we had to do. God, it sucked. It's real, it's real, real scary. It gets real, gets real, real, real quick. Sean, you just put out that video with you and Corey talking about your sales tech experience. Were you guys like standing in front of the Golden Gate Bridge or something? It was very picturesque. Great hat on. You know how we do it. Usually I'm on top of a roof in Spring Valley, but I figured, you know, maybe up my game a little bit and get a better backdrop. Well, what are you feeling when you watch this clip? Are you telling me most tourists that go to the Golden Gate Bridge don't make sales tech content? They're missing out. No, it's the first I've seen it. <laughs> I might be the first person that's ever done a sales tech video at the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, yeah, we, we, for me, it's something that is not talked about. You know, we don't talk about the things that are unsexy in business when we get into the restaurant business. And for me, it's something that, there's a reason why it resonates with all of us on this call. The reason why it's resonated with our audience, with people that are listening to this show is that, you know, the truth vibrates the fastest. And the last thing you want to do is put all your hard money, all your blood, sweat and tears, your hopes, your dreams into a business. And then to get a letter that can jeopardize that. And when it comes from the state, it comes with a certain authority. Um, when it comes from the federal government, it comes with another authority. And, you know, you realize that, this is a problem that you need to solve. And uh, it's something that you didn't plan for. You know, restaurant owners, we have all these things that we plan for, your business plan, what's going to happen, how's it going to happen. Nowhere in there is a letter like that. Like, what are you going to do when a $185,000 bill comes or a $30,000 bill comes and you don't have money in the bank account to pay it? Like, that's just not part of what you're doing when you're dreaming of building a business. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, no, it's not. They don't teach Jordan, you. Do you have a point in uh, in any of your business where you realized you didn't know the game you were maybe actually playing when it came to the business within the business? Yeah, I mean, like I think, <clears throat> I think all of that stuff you guys are talking about it's it's really business agnostic in a lot of ways in the sense that it occurs in other areas um, where I mean, I was when we started seven shifts like. I was just like, oh, I can pay myself. Cool. It's like, it's coming into my bank account and I'm going to just pay myself out of my bank account. And that's how I ran like paying myself. And, um, you know, thankfully we got someone in on the finance side um, in, you know, fairly early that just said like, what are you doing? Like, you've got like multiple <laughs> people, you're paying it all out of your personal bank account. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, Okay, like it's not, it doesn't sound like a big deal. <laughs> like it is actually. Um, but you know, I, I think like you know, similar to restaurateurs, right? Like you don't get into business thinking like, I love financial spreadsheets. That's why I'm getting into business. No, yeah. like it was like I love building product. And I think for a lot of other folks in the restaurant industry, it's like, yeah, you have like a passion for the food you're type and and the experience that you want to deliver to your guests. Like, but you know, the reality of this is you can't run any business without um, having those kind of back office tools and, and knowledge to kind of ensure that you're, you're on a stable foundation. Mm. Oh man. 
so many more like so many more stories to come i feel like coming off of sales text that's why we called this uh, segment sleep at night because there's so many things keeping restaurateurs from being able to sleep at night the worries the struggles so thanks to uh, thanks to david for continuously putting us back in our trauma thanks a lot david and mm-hmm. amanda and everybody over at davo all right what do we got next let's get into this uh, next segment reading review Views presented by Marquee. Marquee is a one-stop digital operations platform for no-touch digital menu and listing updates. And uh, I've gotten to talk to Marquee a couple times. They're making some moves right now, which I'm really excited about, which I think we're going to share on the segment over the next couple weeks. I know Kyle got to see them out at the International Food Show in New York. And they're, they're always bringing it. Their, their gear was looking good. I saw pictures of them there. I saw Seven Shifts was there as well, right? So... Love seeing that because we're going to have Riff on the Road. I, I don't know why. I'm going to detour here real quick. You guys, Riff on the Road. These guys are going to be out in May next week, right? March 20th for the Toast Spark event. So it's kind of cool getting out on the road a little bit and seeing some of you know the companies that we work with, some of the creators, some of the restaurateurs that we get to interact with. So, Sean, you got a couple more stats on that? Let's, let's, pl- let's plug yeah, that right now and Sophie, let's make sure we get Corey the, cl- the link to, to that in this episode notes. If you're listening to the show, just send me a DM. It's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. But we want to see you at the show. Um, Kyle's going to be there. We might even go to In-N-Out, and I might force him to eat fries and enjoy the fries, even though he thinks he doesn't enjoy Maybe his palate will get a little bit more sophisticated on this trip. Which I'm going to hope for. We will document for. Uh, Bring my own fries. Bring yeah, if, my you, if if you know a restaurateur um, or someone in the restaurant industry, uh, these events are really important, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Love to see you come on out, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure to get you on the list. Love it. All right, reading reviews presented by Marquis. Let's get into it. Hey, Rift team. Uh, I'm outside in 40 degrees in New York, so I'm going to do this one at one and a half speed. Love hearing your takes on some of the crazy fun reviews out there that we've been sharing. I want to take this week to ask y'all's opinion on the full review management process. Based on our conversation so far, I think it's pretty clear we all feel passionately about a few things, right? Guest relationships aren't only built in person. Online reviews are obviously an opportunity to connect your customers' in-person experiences with their online feedback, um, a chance to show other potential guests how you respond to both positive and negative reviews, right? Uh, Personalized communication and responses are always going to be better, right? How do we do scalable templates? How do we make sure we're always communicating with our customers? Operators and marketing teams don't have enough time in the day to respond to reviews the way they'd ideally like to. But by gathering all the reviews in Google, Yelp, and Facebook in one place, Marquee works to help them better optimize that process so they can make the most impact in as little time as possible, right? Efficiency. I don't think there are many restaurant owners and operators who feel like their guests aren't important, don't want to engage with them. Most of us got into the hospitality industry because we love creating awesome experiences for awesome people. What do you think are the biggest obstacles keeping restaurateurs and operators from engaging with their guests online? and responding to reviews. What are a few things you think they can do to overcome that and take small steps to start engaging with their guest reviews more online? Important question. Sean, let's kick it to you. What do you got? (laughs) 
it's crazy. Recently, I've just started breaking it down. I mean, I talk about digital hospitality. I talk about smartphone storytelling. I talk about all the things that you need to do. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Do you believe in the Internet? If you believe in the Internet as a restaurant owner and you nod your head and you go, yes, I believe in the Internet, do your actions prove that you believe in the Internet? Because if I Google your business and your website sucks, you haven't posted on social media, I can't order online, I can't, I can't write a review online, all of this stuff that we talk about matters. So are your actions backing up what you think you believe? Because some other restaurant in your village, in your city, in your community will do the things, the basic things. If you come to Spring Valley, as Jensen, you've been out. Uh, Jordan hasn't been there yet. Kyle, not yet. But when you come to Spring Valley or if you go on, on Google Earth and you Google 8910 Troy Street, you'll see we're in the middle of nowhere. We have a deep belief. We wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for the Internet. We wouldn't be in business if we didn't respond to reviews and treat people online the same way that we treat them in real life. So for us, it just comes down to the basics. It's being honest with yourself. And that's why we love this community. If you're listening to this show, you guys are already doing the work. Um, it, it's hard. You know, it's hard to go and convince somebody that the earth isn't flat. You know, what we're trying to do is have conversations with other restaurant owners that believe in the Internet and are humble enough to know that they don't have all the answers. Because I don't have all the answers. That's why I, I, I work with Jordan. I work with Marquis and we work with Seven Shift. I ask them all the time. I had, I had somebody DM me today and ask me about Apple Maps. So they're showing up terrible on Apple Maps. And shout out to uh, Super Taco up in Sacramento, five mm -hmm. location um, brand. They reached out and they said, I don't know how to update Apple Maps. I said, are you guys on Marquee? They're like, we are on Marquee. I'm like, you have your answer. Just ask them a question. That's your team. I had a problem with Google Maps. I asked them two weeks ago. Kyle, if you saw where Cali Barbecue is and you created an archetype for the worst possible location, don't ever pick this. Like that's the picture, the definition of bad real estate choice. That would be Cali Barbecue. It is I unreal. <laughs> it is unreal. Which I, I did see it on, on Buxton. I did see it on. I did see it when we did the the data analytics on it. I was like, "Is that like a cockfighting ring next to you? What is that? Not like a garage? I don't know what. Is it? Should we? Are we including that in the in the in the, in the footprint? But yeah, dude, I mean, up until that, I would have thought, oh, dude, we had no parking. We had no back door for garbage. Ours was pretty bad too. I would have put us close second. <laughs> All right, well, what do you think on that, Kyle? What's what's holding back? The specific question, what is holding back people in restaurants from engaging more online, digitally, when it comes to reviews or really anything, comments on social, anything? Why are we why are we stuck inside our four walls? Dude, it's the same thing with almost everything in a restaurant because I've experienced it with my own partner, experience with clients. It's it's ego or it's fear, right? Like they don't want to, they don't like the bruise of their ego. So their initial response to a lot of chef owners in particular, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I've had in my worst. experience. Yeah. Awful. And they, uh, it, their initial reaction is to get defensive. They don't know how to articulate the proper response. And it's so instead of they, they know enough to say, okay, I shouldn't be combative in this situation and say, there's no possible way that that was undercooked. I cooked it myself. Okay. So they just say nothing, which is awful. And I think that it falls under the umbrella. If you can't do it and you know that you can't do it, then you have to find somebody else 
to do it. It doesn't mean it doesn't get done. So um, I think it's, it's, it's all ego. And they're afraid if they do put something out there, how it's going to be read. You know, chefs are fragile creatures, you know, that's very easy to get a lot of bravado. There's a lot of, you know, and, and restaurant owners in general, I think you put so much energy into something that it takes a certain humility to say, you're right. It wasn't, perfect we want to make it perfect let us know next time you come in etc but not everybody has that chip and then i just don't think enough restaurant owners deem it important enough to to outsource it to somebody or pay somebody 200 bucks a week to tackle the commenting on social media which is, it's a huge deal kyle this is like therapy for you and i as the former chef owners every episode here oh, God. chef inspired <laughs> chef inspired by restaurant idea factory yeah i think it's because we think we have the leverage we're the hot spot. We're the popular place. Media is coming to us. Influencers are coming to us. You got to line out the door. So my time is more valuable than your time, right? Our castle is our castle and that's where everything happens. And so I think that's, that's an issue. We think that we're the popular one. So you should be coming to us. We don't need to respond to you because you're not as important. And that is such it's such short-term thinking and it's been exposed and it's a major vulnerability of the business and we've all fallen into it. We went from being kind of outcast misfits. Then we were the cool kids didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to, I think we're still stuck in that sometimes. And then we became the establishment and now you get called out. The restaurants are not a great place to work and we're pissed off about it because now we're the establishment. Did you respond to reviews when you owned your restaurant? Dude, we had this is comment a moment, cards. Of, moment of truth here. I was I was aggro about it to the point where other managers like complained about how much I wanted comment cards. If we didn't have like 20 to 30 comment cards every night that the managers the next day would have to reply to, we would send them an email or we if they gave us an address, remember addresses on comment cards, then we would send them a handwritten note. I was very, very big on it. And it created so many opportunities. We did people's weddings. We did the, the current mayor of Denver. We did like his big campaign party because one of his one of his admins was at dinner and we wrote them a handwritten note. Like that kind of stuff happens because you're actively trying to do that. So yes, before there were reviews that were just so easy to access through marquee and digital, we were doing that. Our comment cards were not the ones that were stuck in the server book because they had been in there for four months and coffee and everything spilled on it that you could peel out of the book. Obviously, they didn't care about those comment cards. We absolutely cared about them. So, yes, that I definitely did. Jordan, any thoughts? Re replying, responding? Yeah, to yeah. Just, just hearing this, I think like there are many, I think there are a lot of vectors of success within a business and, you know, restaurants um, obviously are the, this it's like, yes, the food quality is, is, is really important. And also your audience are those people that are talking and reviewing your product and their experience. And then in, in I'll, I'll kind of relate it to like all businesses and even ours too, in the sense that glass door, right? It's where candidates go to see what your culture's like, what the people, what the people say about how you like, how you actually run your business. And if the reviews are all poor, there's, we're not going to have as many applicants and we will not be as successful as we can as a business. The same thing is with reviews on, in, in a restaurant, like you want more people coming to your, your company. And so what I've done is I respond to every single negative review. I personally respond still. Um, and, 
And, um, and we've had so many people come through the candidate process. You know, why, why do you want to work at seven shifts? Oh, I love like what you guys stand for. I've read about you on LinkedIn. Oh, by the way, I also saw you respond to all the negative reviews. Is that really you? Yeah, it is. They're like, okay. And so, so this type of, this type of, of mindset is like, you think that your time is so important that you can't spend a few minutes, like pick up the phone and call an angry customer. Like you got to get in front of those because like, I almost say it's the cockroach problem. When you, when there's Mm. one cockroach, there's like Mm. hundreds, if not thousands of cockroaches. So like someone voice something, you better find out if that's like a cockroach infestation analogy or not, but either way you should get in front of it because it just builds a good habit where you will have more long-term success, the more feedback you take in and act on. Ooh. I can't, I'm so happy you shared that, Jordan, because now I'm going to yeah. use that. Yeah. I talk to yeah. the founder. It's a good like, Jordan, respond, Jordan responds. No, you have tell no everybody excuse. that now. <laughs> you have no excuse. <laughs> when we hit a thousand people, I don't know if I can say the same thing, but like right now I still, I always tell people, I'm like, I can do it still. And people are like, but you shouldn't. I was like, I can, and it's important. And these are these, yeah. un, these are these non uh, like intangible things that people, yeah don't understand how they compound. And I, I believe in the compounding effects of them. I agree. Yeah. If you want to yeah, scale, absolutely. do unscalable things. Big believer in that. That's obviously yes. a clear articulation of that in action. Nice. This was good. Good segment. All right. Let's get into our, our first at-large bid here. We're going to be talking. Now we've branded this because it feels like every week we're talking about the, the robots. So this new segment, Robotic Revelation. We're going to be talking Sweet Fin and Stellar Pizza detail cost saving robotics strategy this is from restaurant dive by emma beckett and this actually came guys from uh from a panel at curbivores event our, our friends at curbivore harry, harry campbell and i'm gonna read just a, a couple of little excerpts and then we actually have a video of coco one of the robots. So Sweetfin has partnered with Coco Delivery, a food delivery robot company. Co-founder Seth Cohen, instead of having a 45-minute delivery wait time where a courier is dispatching multiple orders at once, food with the robot is being delivered within two miles under 15 minutes. We're not on third-party apps utilizing the service, so there's no increased markup. The customer is not having to pay a tip. They're not having to pay delivery fees. The really kind of shifting that model pretty significantly. Again, I was joking about it, but I want you guys, when you're in LA on Monday, try and track down one of these robots. You can get some sweet fin. Some poke bowls. All right, let's check out. Favorite favorite character was it the girl with the unicorn or was it the old man on the bench waving as Coco went by? <laughs> the dog Dalmatian. <laughs> the dog always. The, the Dalmatian uh, getting freaked out when the top open. 
I saw the Genia ramen. Now I really want some ramen. All right, let's let's talk. Let's talk robots. Kyle, what's what are you thinking when you see this uh, robot going down the street? You see this thing going down Fifth Avenue? <laughs> yeah, that thing wouldn't make it one block down Fifth Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. That I'll tell you what. Honestly, though, like at the show last week when I saw uh, there were robots everywhere. There were robots, and then those. Uh, what are those things that you stood up on? You just had to like lean forward and go. Segway. Segway. Segways, yeah. A lot of those, like, which I didn't think were practical. But um, the one thing that struck me about the robot was I asked the guy and he's like, you know, show me how it works. And he was like, yeah, you know, you just have to another iPad. Perfect. Uh, go into the restaurant and be like, okay, this, you know, little robot goes from the kitchen to table 17. And I'm like, now somebody's got to man the robot. I don't know. That just seems counterproductive to me. I don't. Know, I, I don't know what I thought. I didn't think it was good. Sean, fight him. I mean, I already have a robot. Why don't you have a robot? This is, is the better question. My wife has a robot. I thought you were gonna say your wife is a robot. I was like, damn, dude. <laughs> no, she's not a robot. My, my wife is an you're angel. She's not in trouble. There you she's go. A, there you go. Good correction. We we have a robot. It's called Roomba. And it was a crazy thing when we put it into our house. It was actually when we were living in our condo in downtown San Diego, it was a crazy thing that we bought and we didn't think, you know, oh, someone's going to, this, this robot's actually going to clean our, our house. It actually does a phenomenal job cleaning the house. You know, we have a dog, so it, it helps pick up, you know, the, the hair. We don't, our, our dog doesn't shed that much. Um, it's King Charles Cavalier, but it doesn't shed that much. But nonetheless, the fact that we have a robot in our house I don't think it's a big leap to have robots doing delivery. I don't think it's a big leap to have robots in the kitchen. I don't have, I mean, I literally talked about Mama Ramona's. My, my kids still ask me to this day, are we going to the robot restaurant? I mean, they want to go to the robot restaurant because they love robots. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's actually expoing food out of the kitchen. But, here, uh, here I, I want to get back to this Coco robot because I think there is slightly a difference when you're talking Coco about robot. home field advantage. Right, a robot inside the kitchen, a robot delivering food is still within your four walls, within some reasonable expectation of control. You're talking about a robot that's going down, going down, you know, going down Troy Street. I'm going to make that robot video. Exactly have right. Have your Roomba do that, Sean. Do, have your Roomba do yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Roomba will clean up the street in no time. That would be a good video. <laughs> yeah, put a cheeseburger on top of it and just like have it go and see where it takes it. I like it. I should do that. Yeah, and I'm interested to find out what happens when the first person grabs that robot and sits there and crowbars the top off of it to take oh, it never the food out of it, right? So <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you, I had a, I had a robot, I had a robot that almost got me killed. The, the, the Roomba, Robocop, <laughs> Robocop, the Roomba, inadvertently, like sucked up my wife's bikini top, and it was like a two hundred and fifty dollar bikini. Yeah. Your poor so, wives. Also, your robot, was robot didn't, it wasn't that you were wearing the bikini top and it like yes. sucked you into the Roomba. I yeah, see. Exactly. It was an awkward moment for all of us. I couldn't look the robot in the eye for the rest of the, the weekend getaway. But yeah, when robots go wrong, man, you get killed. Luckily, uh, you know, I'm a charmer. Well, we're glad everyone's safe. Did you buy the robot or did, or did Leslie? What's what that? For the robot purchase. I had to protect the robot at all costs for a little while there. You purchased then, the uh, robot. Was it your idea or was it her idea? No, it was like we were, um, I just thought it'd be a good idea. Let it run, clean the place up a little, you know? 
So you bought the robot. You brought the robot into the house. Yeah. This is I brought another person in. I brought a robot into our marriage. Clearly, everybody who's <laughs> listening to this, watching this, we have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to robot. We're very excited to learn more. I know I want to yes. talk more to, uh, to Coco's team a little bit because I am interested on in what it takes to have a robot outside the four walls. I think what Seth Cohen said is pretty compelling when it comes to the upside potential of the delivery model with robots. I think there's potentially a lot of vulnerabilities to it. So what's the risk mitigation? What's the security and safety? What's How are you ensuring that process? I'm interested in that. I've been thinking about insurance a lot as we're gonna talk about Silicon Valley Bank in a little bit. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's leave it there for now. Ro robotic revelation. I'm gonna, I know we're going to like this channel a lot. We're going to at least have fun with it. If we're not going to impart any value or, or information, at least we'll have some fun. So, all right, let's get into guest experience presented by Ovation. Ovation is a two question survey platform for real time feedback, better online reviews and happier guests. We're going to hear from Zach Oates, who always gets us fired up. Restaurant idea factory. What's up, team? Okay, now, in case you didn't know, sorry, what was that? I couldn't hear you over my shirt. Yeah, that's right. I like loud shirts. Maybe you knew, maybe you don't. But for those of you watching, now you know. Now, I love to order my shirts from a company called Sunday Swagger. All right. Now I haven't ordered shirts from them in a while, but I just got this one in the mail yesterday. And this one came with a surprise. This is the uh, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that comes as a receipt. For those of you who can see it, you can see it. For those of you who can't, there it is. You can hear it. Anyway, uh, this one came with a surprise on it. They didn't give me something for free, but what they did is they wrote a handwritten thing on here and it says, Zach, welcome back to Sunday Swagger and thank you for your order cheerio exclamation mark now look that's not a big deal but it just shows that they care and i've talked about this again and i'll talk about it over and over again which is the ladder of loyalty that has three rungs convenience consistency and the highest rung is connection what does connection mean connection means that they care about you because they know that you care about them now look Remember, we are not serving customers. We're not even serving guests. We are serving humans. And you know what the most universal of human desires is? The desire feel important. A little that, right? So how do you build connection? How do you help your guests, your customers, your humans to feel important, ready to hear? That shirt, though. That's Man. a good one. Can you guys pull off that shirt? I can't pull off that shirt no. unless it's Halloween. Can't do it. That's why Zach Oates is Zach Swagger over here. But no, no loud shirt. Sunday Swagger. I love it. I love that. Sunday name. Swagger. We need to talk to them. Maybe we need some uh, hats for when we go to uh, you know South oh, Beach for uh, Wine Fest. Swagger Brussels sprout shirt for Kyle. <laughs> Sunday you know. Swagger and Close Monday. Yeah, Brussels That's sprout right. shirt. That could be our they first uh, our first merch collab right there. Okay, so humans, we are here to serve humans. I mean, we just talked about that in multiple ways. We were talking about responding personally. Jordan mentioned that needing to to understand that the digital experience is as important as when you have somebody in your store. So the fact that they wrote that little note, even just the welcome back. Right. That little bit of phrasing didn't just say thank you for your order, 
because that ha- that's not time bound. So he mentioned he hadn't ordered a shirt in a while and somehow they're contextualizing that note to him, which they probably contextualize for anybody who hasn't ordered in, let's say, three months. Still, that little bit of nuance, I think, makes makes a big, big difference. So I don't know, Jordan, you want to pick that up? I, I saw I saw you reacting as we were watching that clip. When you're thinking about this, how do you how do you better serve humans? Well, now that I know that you can see my face, Jensen, while we're watching those videos. <laughs> um, so, Surprise. you know, to like, how do we better serve humans? I think, like, as it relates to that that thing that Zach called out about, um, you know, wanting to feel important. I think that that's that's so true. I mean, like, it's such a it's such an easy and difficult thing to you know um, follow through and, and unpack because everyone's a little bit different in terms of how they feel that way. But I think that even looking at, you know, the million of restaurant workers that we work with and that we've surveyed and asked them um, things that are important to them or what leads to their retention or turnover, you know, the, the number three thing of why people left the restaurants and in, in the, the 4,000 employees we chatted with was lack of manager recognition and like career trajectory. And I think that you know, those could be taken as kind of separate things as well. But I think I'll touch on the first one, which is the lack of recognition. And I think this is just, tr- I think, I think how we can help this is just to understand your people a little bit better. Um, and I think, I think I've, we've seen some great operators execute on this tactically, like trying to understand what the, what their goals are, you know, when they're coming to work for you, whether it's short-term and part-time or, or long-term, I think it, it doesn't really matter. It just shows that you care to ask the question and even better if you can kind of align some of their own ambitions with that can actually help the needs of the business. Um, we had an example on, of one restaurateur uh, actually found a, one of their servers was like into photography. So they're like, Hey, like, why don't you take pictures for the menu? And it, it's just small stuff like that. And I think that it had building incentives, making it fun, you know, public praise is super important. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm a millennial too. And everyone thinks millennials are like, oh, I need high fives all the time. No, I don't like, I, I mean, maybe some do, but like, it's less about everyone gets a participation medal. It's more like, hey, is there like a structure where I can know that if I do something great, I win? And what do I win? And and I can feel good about that. And it doesn't need to be constant, like every day. It, it can be like a monthly thing. And I think a lot of operators are just thinking in that way and getting creative. And it's it's nice to see because- those small things actually go a long way. Yeah, and you build that culture and then it resonates all the way through to that guest experience. You want a great guest experience, have a great employee experience. And that'll always translate into a into a better guest experience. I know, Sean Kyle, what do you guys think? One of you guys have a have a riff on this? Go for it, Sean. Riff yeah. it up. The memorable moments we're talking about hospitality and we're talking about humans you know and that's why you know for me it's great to have zach come on the show uh we use ovation at cali barbecue and we make memorable moments because people can text our business they can be upset and instead of going you know to uber eats and complaining to uber eats and getting a refund they can literally text our business and by texting our business by giving them that digital communication it's an oh shit experience when Ian or Lisa or Eric responds immediately back to them saying, I'm so sorry, and leads with empathy. I hear you. We didn't mean to make a mistake. Here's a digital gift card for the next time on us. Like no other, like so few restaurants are doing that, you know, mm-hmm. utilizing these digital tools and these tech tools that allow us 
do, we already do it in real life really well, but now we have technology at our fingertips to make those memorable moments. And, you know, sometimes they're not scalable. It's not scalable for Jordan to respond to every review. It's not scalable for me at this point to respond to every review, but I understand Jordan's pain point. It's like, for me, it took me forever, 1500 Yelp reviews before I had someone else in our organization do that because I know how important it is. And even then I'm still like, you know, making sure Steven did a good job with the brand voice and leading with empathy and contextualizing what you said, contextualizing the review, because this stuff matters. But when you make those memorable moments, it's not just for that person. It's for everyone else that sees it online. That's it. That's even the more important part is now when I wrote those comment card replies, only that one person or their, you know, direct family or whomever saw that. And now I take the time to reply to that because it's in my nature to do so. Well, now that is scalable because now a hundred people, 500 people, a thousand people over the next four months, six months, nine months can look and see that 4.4 total stars and that four star review because Kyle hates five star review. So we're going to say four stars is the best possible review. They get to see that you led with empathy or that you took responsibility or that you called out menu items, or that you called out staff and allowed them to get some of that praise, which reinforces the culture. That's how you scale something that can be unscalable. So, yeah, I'd also yep. add Jensen that um, um, it was, I think it was Kelly Phillips from Destination Unknown Restaurants was uh, did something really cool around that, which is that she kind of rewarded her team based on the reviews and kind of, she would do a check-in and kind of aggregate most recent reviews. And based on how those came through, like the team was, was kind of given some sort of incentive, whether it's gift cards or, or whatever it was, they, they kind of rallied around that. I thought that was a really, really great idea. Yeah, dude, for me, it's like, it, it's a culture. It becomes the, the more you work it out, the more the owner leads with that. If you just, empathetic and and hospitable to his staff and it just trickles down the expectation you you don't want to be the one standing out those people start to weed themselves out you know i think uh we had a we had a, a training session with union square hospitality and they used to call it skunking so like if you're like if you have somebody who's not falling in line with the culture if you're so obsessive about it if you constantly are moving the salt and pepper shaker back to where they need to be if you're constantly following those steps of service and being, you know, on top of the guest needs or anticipating the guest needs, that one person who doesn't do it stands out. And it's not, it's not, it's, it just, it starts to take care of itself. You just drown them in that culture and they they, they can't survive and you, they have no choice, but to either get, get in line with what you're doing or just find another job. But it's, it's, it, it has to be everything. And it starts with the ownership or the management team there. They, they have to breathe it. They have to live it every second of that they're there, even when they're not there. Yeah, last episode, we went a whole episode without mentioning Danny Meyer. So I'm glad that you somehow found a way to, to weave, weave Danny into this into this one. So I thought you want me to talk right, about let's Juliana. Get into, <laughs> let's get into, uh, we're excited about this. Let's get into emphasizing teams presented by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts and Jordan help restaurateurs with hiring schedule and paying and retaining their people as well as also now setting the bar very high to make sure that you are responding personally and allowing people to feel like humans in their interactions with you. All right. Emphasizing teams, Jordan, what do you got for us this week? Yeah, I think, um, you know, even just some of the videos that I've been um, posting with you guys too. I mean, it's, it's such an important thing that we're, we're basically saying we're building a platform that 
is really going to enable the operators to simplify operations and improve performance for the restaurant. But on the flip side of that, you can't do that without a team that's engaged. So really trying to think about how we balance those as we build and ensure that you've got the right people on the ship. And how do we take the best practices from some of the best operators, either talk, I use a megaphone and and get their message out about what they do and even build some of those, those things into the product where people go like, Whoa, I can, what's this? Okay. Like, you know, I I was speaking with a restaurant operator the other day in Chicago and he's like, Jordan, if you just, you, you talk to a lot of operators, right? I was like, yeah, like, I, I talked to a fair amount. I was like, what, what are people doing nowadays? Like, what are they, like, what are they, I've heard some things around teams and like, you know, do you have any ideas? And I was like, wow, I have a lot of ideas. Like how much time do you have? But, <laughs> but like, I think that that question though alone was like exciting to me because yeah. I think like, here's someone who's been in business for like 20 some years and is finally going, ah, you know what? I need something, I need to do something different. And so I think it's just more the openness to change that I'm very excited about in, as it relates to, and we, we shared some ideas, you know, Kyle talked about Danny Meyer and, you know, we shared some of those, those ideas as well. And I, I truly believe in that, you know, the, the kind of, you know, the, 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 the push to kind of hire folks uh, based on their behaviors, which I know Danny says, calls it like the 5149 principle where it's like, yeah. You hire the 51% of their, you know, based on their emotional skills, worth ethic and, and their behaviors and the other one, the other side you train. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, and I kind of coupled with that, I think of the quote from, I think it was Jim Sullivan, where he said, we we hurry hire the wrong people and hope training will fix them. And I think that if you take that, if you take Dan, what Danny's talking about, and he's saying, look at the behaviors as a starting point. And then train after they have the behaviors because trying to change the behaviors is nearly impossible. And, and we've had the same experience in our business, which another thing that Kyle said that resonated with me is like great cultures attract and repel people. Like they just do. Like as soon as someone comes into the culture that is not, it does not demonstrate the behaviors that you said, these are how we operate here. The whole team notices it's like an, it's like an allergic reaction. If you have a culture that's not, you're not quite sure about like you haven't defined it, whether you define it or were intentional about it or not, or not, you have a culture. And if you are not intentional about it, it becomes very murky. It becomes very gray. People start talking like, oh, I don't like what Sean did. Like, I like Kyle more. Jensen's kind of cool, but he did this thing to me. And you get this water cooler nonsense. And I think that that's really where you have a problem is when those behaviors start to take place. And so early on, even building our company, like we were very, very cautious and well, not cautious. We were very, um, I was not gun shy about letting people go that just were not, did not demonstrate the right behaviors because um, it's just one, it takes one apple to spoil a bunch. So um, I kind of went all over the place here with teams, um, but in terms of how we can pick it up and run with it. I like that. That was good. (laughs) But the thing that jumped in my head was the, hire for attributes, train for skills, right? Yes. And a lot of times we've, we've flipped that we've commoditized back. Oh, you've worked in restaurants. You must know how to do all of these things already. And then we instill a culture of fake it till you make it, which is incredibly dangerous and has been exposed as vulnerable now. So I think that's a a big part of it is like, how do we have people understand like, this is what it means to be a part of this. But if we only commoditize the fact that we can get food up in a certain amount of time, 
well, then that's all we're going to value and care about. And so us chefs especially have perpetuated a lot of that, those tropes. You're only as good as your next plate up, you know, leave yeah. your shit at the door, like all of these things. And they feed that monster. And I would also, sorry to, to kind of like, I'm very passionate about this area, obviously, obviously, yeah. but I also think that we can do better as leaders to give context to the people that were that like, here, here's the context of why this matters to us. These are the, these are kind of the bounds we're playing in. And I just wanted to be, um, help you understand that because this is how, how we think. And so there's a lot of transparency around the expectations. And I think that when people fall out of line of those expectations, it makes it easier to have those conversations, you know, Hey, as you know, this is why we value these things. And this was in direct conflict of the things that we value. Do you agree? And like nine out of 10 times the person will be like, well, yeah, it was right. It's like, you're not surprising them. You don't want to surprise people. It's like, here's the context here, are the behaviors we champion. And, and if people step out of line, yeah, you got to move the salt shaker back, but um, in the middle of the table. And I love that analogy. And, you know, if you've, if you've got to do that, you know, more than a few times, like you got to ask yourself, how much time are you allocating to the behaviors of individuals that should not be part of your operation versus up-leveling and incentivizing and rewarding the people that are killing it? You're taking your time away mm -hmm. on the people that just won't make it for you. And it's draining you as a manager. I think that's a really important thing that people need to think about. Yeah, Kyle, what do, you, what, what do you think? An allergic reaction. That's That was very well put, Jordan, to what you're talking about, Kyle. You're muted. Kyle, unmute. Rookie mistake. Look at this guy. Come on. The, 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 there is a tendency to always like punish the people who are not, who are not falling in line. Right. But you're not doing enough to promote the people who are doing the right thing. And I think that to me is Correct. the real culture. That to me is the real leadership. That is what, you know, leadership training in restaurants, like giving people the authority to make the decisions when it comes to uh, hospitality, when it comes to service, when it comes to in the kitchen, letting the, you know, how many sous chefs are allowed to make a dish without running it past the chef five times. Right. So it's, I think that's the kind of stuff that builds. I'm all about scalable restaurants. And the only way you're going to do that is if you let the leash out, let people breathe a little bit and give them the, the opportunity to make mistakes because restaurants to me are not defined by how perfect they are. They're defined by how they mitigate those mistakes and how they can correct themselves along the way. People don't expect you to be perfect. If you try to be too perfect, it's, it falls, it feels phony. So um, I, I, I think- like bullshit five-star reviews. And that's, that's the thing. There's no, they're all, I don't get me started on five-star reviews. It'd be a whole another hour. I love getting uh, me started. I'll, I'll wind you up and Kyle just goes. Yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> are you kidding? Uh, so yeah, I forget what I was saying, but you threw me off my track, but yeah, <laughs> you want to, you want to, I think you just, there's not enough done to lift people up. There's like this weird thing of like, I deal with restaurants in the three to seven units, right? They're still kind of that ugly duckling stage and they're trying to figure right. it out. Hey, hey, hey. Today's <laughs> not, not, not you. Know, You're in a different pond. Other, other ducklings. Yeah. Pond. Pond. The yeah. different ugly ducklings. <laughs> they're, they're, they're east of the Mississippi. They're hatchling. They're east uh -huh. of the Mississippi and south of Maine. Uh -huh. uh, they, uh, yeah, like they, they're, they're, you need to maintain control, but you can't be a dictator. And like, because then it's like, well, I do this because the owner does this. And then yeah. that's just. I think now you're just on, you're just rolling towards the cliff. You just, you just don't That's see it. Tough yet. line. <laughs> tough line for sure. 
All right. Any last thoughts on this? Otherwise we will wrap with our last segment. Sean, you got anything? One little, hey, little mic drop. A little mic drop. I, I just, I'm, I'm going to go interview uh, Jeff Fenster. He owns Everbowl out here on the West Coast. They have about 300 acai bowl um, units. He's a serial entrepreneur, but he was in my preparation for today's interview. For, for what show? For restaurant influencers. Oh, uh, has everyone heard of restaurant influencers? He's a, uh, he makes cereal. He's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he loves that. He makes cereals. You know? Do we lose him? Are we He's back? Frozen. Do we lose? I'm back. Oh, see this. Keep going. California. It's gold. Man. West Coast. Does the internet exist in California, Sean? I'm not, <laughs> not sure. He doesn't believe in it. <laughs> At least Sean's not flooding. He doesn't uh, believe in it. All right. We're, yeah. we're, <laughs> I always give Jets. <laughs> we're in the sticks here in Denver. Usually it's my internet. Now it's yours. All right, we're skipping you. I don't know if you're talking right now, but we're skipping Peter you. Pan All right, we're going to talk on this last at-large bit here. We're going to talk. He's gone. He's gone completely. He's out. Uh, Bye, we're going to talk, talk about Silicon Valley Bank's failure brings payroll turmoil for Chicago restaurant chain. This is Eater Chicago by Ashok Selvam. Uh, I'm going to read this quick. We only got a couple minutes, but I want to at least touch on this real quick. I'm going to read a couple quotes from this. All right, here we go. Fry the Coop, a fried chicken sandwich shop with seven locations, could not pay its 227 workers as scheduled on Friday, March 10th, according to the chain's owner. While the restaurant does not bank with Slanta Clara, excuse me, its payroll company, Ohio-based Patriot Software, does. So we have Chicago-based restaurant, Ohio-based payroll company, California-based bank. A lot of entanglement going on here. Yeah, really. For sure. According to Patriot, it did not distribute money to 8,100 of its clients, like Fry the Oof. Coop, as of Sunday, March 12th. For Fry the Coop, that means that $125,000 it sent to Patriot has been frozen without a way to reverse the transaction that is heavy 100 i've had joe on the podcast too man that's that's not the good dude man yeah fry the coop friend of the show for sure which is why i grabbed that piece because i thought it was really important you know it's been a lot of talk and jordan of course i want to hear of the tech startups and that silicon valley right there's been a lot of talk i mentioned joking about insurance but the the fdic right and what they actually insure and it's you know, $250,000 is what they insure, which for most banks is over 90% of their depositors. However, SVB was the complete inverse of that, where over 90% of theirs were above $250,000. So like a little context there. You guys know I was, the, the historical stuff is really important to me. And I've been hearing the second largest, you know, bank failure, bank run in our history. So this one is at, what's the number now? Two hundred. And nine billion from SVB and then Signature Bank in New York, 118 billion. Wow. Which then actually those two banks exceed what was the number one one was in 2008, Washington Mutual in Seattle, $307 billion uh, was what that bank took on. So these are big, big numbers uh, that I don't quite understand, to be honest. That's uh, the fact that it was affecting that restaurant and that 227 employees could not, not get paid. 
Uh, I think we're going to try and follow up with Fry the Coop and some of their people to find out what's happening there. So who wants to jump in, jump into this hornet's nest first? Yeah, I right. Jordan, I want to hear Jordan's <laughs> Jordan, you're the, you're the tech startup guy. Tell us what's sure. going on with these, with these venture banks. Well, I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading and try to wrap my own head around a lot of the stuff, but it, it seems like obviously um, it's, it's, it's obviously very unfortunate uh, for anyone that, that didn't get paid on time. But I think that some of the actions that were there, there's obviously a series of actions of, of kind of like missteps or things that people didn't anticipate um, with that, that, that was going on within the bank as it related to um, selling off some of their assets at, at that loss, which kind of spooked investors um, who are largely, you know, uh, I'll tell you, yeah, those tie in a little bit, but investors basically messaged all their startups to saying like, Oh my God, SVB is, you know, um, there's going to be, they're going to have liquidity problems. You better go get your money out. And so all of these startups and, and tech companies, which make up like, you know, 50% of SVB's um, uh, deposits started like this massive run. To, I got texts like from people in my community to like, if you got it with SVB, like take it out. And I was like, what is this? I was like, we don't bank with SVB, but okay, cool. Like, and, um, wow. and so it's, it's just, a it's, I think what I've, what I've heard from the community is it's a little bit frustrating because the very bank that fostered so much innovation amongst VCs and startups who were kind of sponsoring all the events, like very much involved in the early days. Like, to be honest, you guys, like when I was starting seven shifts, SVB stepped in and gave us a bank account when no one in the U S would. And wow. they're just like, yeah, like, don't worry about it. We'll like, we'll do this. And it was kind of like this, they removed all the barriers that old traditional non-innovative banks were putting up when we tried to do stuff. And it's just, it, it's a little bit disheartening, I think for the community because the very people that they supported are the very ones that spooked everyone saying, go take your money out. And so I think that it's, uh, it's like unfortunate, obviously. And I think that, um, that it was from, from everything I've read around the community, it was like such a catalyst for innovation. Like so many companies were started because SVB, you know, whether it was through loans or through like debt facilities or other things um, and in partnership with early stage investing helped bolster so many companies that we all rely on to this day. Wow. wow. That is, you had money in SVB. Oh, I'm, I'm glad that this didn't uh, adversely affect you all. And so that's all the time we have for this one. I'm, I'm sure some of this will come up again, guys, uh, Kyle and Sean. We'll, we'll riff on this probably a little bit more. If anybody out there was affected by this directly, we're interested to hear from you. If you're not making payroll, anything like that, if there's any companies that are so deeply affected that they're not going to be able to pay their people, like let us know if there is, if there's GoFundMe pages or anything like that, that's the kind of stuff we want to make sure that restaurant people are supported. Too many, too many are living paycheck to paycheck. So not being able to make that payroll like we heard about Fry the Coop can have a major, major impact. So we want to support all those unsung hospitality heroes out there. Jordan, what a great showing as our first ever guest host. Wow. You set the bar high. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me, guys. Like we even, uh, we even have we this in person. Yes. We gotta we fly to you guys that. up here in the middle of December and yes. we'll do it outside. We'll do it. Yes. I've got I've got a like a snowmobile so, and I've yes. got a pet polar bear. We'll all just yes. kind of hang out and uh down and drink I love some, it. I'm uh, sure the internet is better than, than ours here. What's the say? So 
What do you get? What, what's the food, the go-to food? I mean, you have, you take care of so many restaurants for you to pick a food that you would serve at a company. Oh, event. Oh, oh man. Well, d- d- can you count ice cubes as food? We just, we're so well <laughs> hydrated here. We're so well hydrated. Um, our go-to foods, honestly, I mean, we're, it's what is like, Canadian food? What is Canadian food? We don't have a whole other show. To hell is this guy you guys have to go. Have poutine. Poutine there you go. Sure. Poutine. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Done. Uh, Smoke meat. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Montreal. Uh, appreciate that. All right, everyone. Once again, this was Riff 12. Great show. Jordan Bush from S- Seven Shifts was our co-host. First ever co-host on the show. That is it. Appreciate you all, as always, for tuning in. Jordan, Kyle, Sean, myself. Thanks so much. Cheers. Subscribe to full episodes Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn.